Well, I'm so glad to be back. I didn't feel well last Sunday morning, very early. I hated to do it. One time in his life, Xander slept in, and it was Sunday. Now, sleeping in for him, 7.30. I was texting him around 5 o'clock. I was getting a little worried for him, but uh, boy, I just want to say thanks to Xander and thanks to uh, Andy Mashenko. Uh, I listened to the sermons, and man, you guys are just growing so much, and what a blessing it was for me. Yeah. So the Bible tells us to be ready in season and out of season, and they sure were this week. And uh, we feel great, and we got tested for COVID, and our tests uh, were negative, and, uh, you know, we were feeling better by Tuesday. So, uh, uh, and my symptoms, I felt worse than Jan. She just... Anyway, so thank goodness she wasn't sick. So we're fine, and uh, we're doing well, and we're excited to be here. And I'm excited to be in the book of 1 John. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Raise your hand, because you're going to want to follow along with the Bible. Okay, follow along with the Bible. We'll get you one. And uh, man, 1 John, packed, pregnant with meaning. And uh, here's what I said uh, to some folks earlier today. Uh, I have a friend who doesn't like to know things like, you know, how many times one word is in a book or how many times one word's in a chapter or to know the Greek language and the meanings of the Greek. But I got to tell you something. Something's going on here in the Greek (laughs) that if you don't bring it out, you really don't get (laughs) 1 John. (laughs) It's eloquent. It's beautiful, it's hard-hitting, and hopefully I'm going to, over the next, I'm just going to warn you, hour or so, uh, bring that out for you, so that you can see what John is doing here. Now, if you don't know this, you'll never understand this book. He's combating something. What he's combating is a, a thought, a theology called Gnosticism, and my good friend is here who teaches Spanish. I even said this two times ago when I was here. I, om- om- I took Spanish for a long time because I didn't have her for a teacher, so I didn't learn real well. No, I'm kidding. Uh, maybe it was probably just because of me, but I do remember this one word. I remember this word. Oh, I told you I couldn't conjugate it, but I can remember it, and that's gnosko. And here, gnosko in the Greek is to know. And there were these people called the Gnostics who had this theology called Gnosticism. They were in the know. And they wanted you to know that they were in the know. And it was a strange theology that they brought about. We went through it in detail in chapter 1, but just quickly, they had some really weird ideas about who Jesus was. That's going to play out here in this chapter. You're going to understand why John is writing this and these things. They had some strange ideas about who Jesus was. We believe that the Bible teaches that Jesus was fully God, fully man. Here they had some uh, weird ideas in the different strains of Gnosticism that, no, he was just man, and his deity came upon him at certain times, maybe on the cross, and then left him before he died and all just kind of strange stuff, or that he was fully God, the opposite, and his body was just sort of like an apparition, kind of like Casper the ghost. See, that strikes at the heart of the atonement, because the sacrifice had to live perfectly according to the law, to fulfill the law and everything that the law could dish out, which is death. And no one could do that except for deity, except for the, here's the deal. A man or human had to pay the penalty. So God in his infinite wisdom sent himself, his son Jesus Christ, same in nature and essence, one God in three persons, to take the wrath of God against sin. So that the sacrifice would be efficacious. Otherwise, it wasn't efficacious. So the point I'm telling you, the reason I'm telling you this is because when people mess with who Jesus is, you think, oh, we believe in the same God. You know, what we believe in Jesus, no, no, no. That's not what the Bible says. You can think that if you want, but John's going to warn you against it here. It's of the utmost importance. 
And Gnosticism struck at this stuff. It struck against the sacrifice. And John's here combating it. It did lots of other things, too. It happens in our modern day. It split the church into a couple of different realms. Oh, well, if Gnosticism is right and that it believed that all matter was evil, only the spiritual was worth anything, then we can do what we want with our bodies. We'll have and do anything we want and then just pray for forgiveness because we're enlightened and we have a higher spiritual plane. That was one position some of the Gnostics took. Other uh, uh, camp in the Gnosticism group, they said, no, 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 it's evil. Let's try to beat our body into submission to bring it up to the place where our spirituality is. And so, you know, you know the stories of whipping themselves, walking across, you know, hot coals or whatever, trying to bring their body into submission. Neither's accurate. Both are weird. Here, John's going to set it straight. And in the Greek, you're going to really see it. How about this? John, writing this at the end of his life, he's the oldest apostle. You know, he, he lived the oldest, and he wrote this right around 96 or so A.D. Now, that's important to know that. He wrote it around 96 A.D. He, uh, you know, John, at the end of his life, was on the island of Patmos. That's where the revelation of Jesus Christ came from. It was a prison camp. He was put there because he was uh, sharing the gospel and the Romans didn't like it. But he was also going back and forth between his home church, which was in Ephesus, Turkey Minor, or Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, and this Patmos. And so where was he? No one exactly knows, except for John was old when he was writing this, almost at the end of his life. By the way, the historian Eusebius tells us that one of the things that uh, happened to John uh, in his life was that he was caught by the Romans and they tried to deter him from continuing to spread the gospel, so they dipped him in a vat of boiling oil. But for some reason, we know the reason, he was protected by God. It didn't work. And he went on to live this life and write these books. How about that? So John, he wrote the book of John from which he derives much of this stuff. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, so we're up to four books, and he wrote the book of Revelation. John was this one who was called a son of thunder, he and his brother, but becomes the apostle of love because, what? He saw the resurrected Jesus Christ, and Jesus came and lived with him. Supernatural love. He went from one who was a hothead to one uh, to next being uh, memorialized for all eternity as the apostle of love. Who needs that word today? Maybe you have some besetting sin. Maybe you have a besetting sin. Okay, I'm getting weird vibes. You guys are tired or something. Maybe tired of me, but listen, I've been gone a week, okay? So he says here in this uh, book... He tells you why he's writing. <laughs> so look at this. In um, John First John chapter one verse three, verse three, that you might have fellowship with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. Paul, uh, John wants you to know that you can have fellowship with the Father, the Creator, through Jesus Christ. You can have fellowship, koinonia, sharing of life. That's staggering, folks. We're used to it here in the West, so it doesn't do anything for us, maybe. But it's staggering. We can have fellowship. Uh, in First uh, John 1, 4, these things we write to you, how about this? That your joy may be full. Who needs joy? Yes, I need joy. Write, read this book. Understand this book. And joy follows. His third purpose Chapter 2, verse 1, we talked about it the last time I was here. I write to you so that you may not sin. You're no longer under the power of sin. You're a slave now to righteousness, Romans 6, 7, and 8 tells us. Oh, I thought that would get a better reaction. <laughs> uh, he, write, he tells us in chapter 2, verse 26, we'll see it today, so that we won't be deceived. You see... John, 
and we just got done studying Peter, as Peter was, was very concerned when he left the scene that people wouldn't be deceived. I had people this week asking me about weird stuff they're encountering in Bible studies. See, John knew it was going to come in all this time ago, and he's saying, I want you to be so intimately familiar with Jesus Christ that you can recognize a counterfeit when it comes upon the horizon. And you don't have to be special. I'm I'm laughing when I say this. This is a joke. You don't have to be special like the person who stands back here. I'm not special. That's the point. Because the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 2 that each one of you have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Not, not just this guy. You. It's the normal experience for the Christian. We'll talk about that in a minute. Don't be deceived. And then this one, uh, another stated purpose in uh, chapter 5 verse 13 I'm writing these things to you, or I've written these to you so that you would believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, if you would say, if I would come ask you and you'd say, uh, I would say to you, do you have eternal life? And you'd go, uh, I don't know. Done a little bit more good than bad then you don't understand the gospel, no offense, and John wants you to know. See, that's the point. He wants you to know that you can have eternal life. So do, do me a favor. Flip with me. Uh, well, I had to flip. Maybe you didn't. But we saw that uh, John had heard, seen, and touched the Lord Jesus Christ in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. We'd seen that we were no longer uh, to walk uh, uh, in the dark, but to fellowship him, we had to live in the light. And living in the light for the Christian is being open and honest with the Lord and with people about who you are. And I got news for who you are and who I am. We're all sinners. You, you don't have to mask over your sin because, you know, you're here in the fellowship hall on a Sunday. Praise the Lord, brother. I'll pray for you. And just be pious and outward. No, no, no. You can be real. I'm a sinner and I struggled this week. Live in the light. Live in the place where you come to the Lord with honesty and with people with honesty. Now, just time out for a second. There's such a thing as TMI, folks. You, use some common sense here. I don't need to know every graphic detail of all of your sins. And you don't need to know mine. But I'm just talking about that open and honestness that's not a word, is it? Honesty about who you are. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're sinners, and we need help, and the Lord is our help. And that's fellowship with one another. And he says this, remember that if you do these things, you lie to those who you're in fellowship. If you sin, you're you're lying to those who you're in fellowship with. Jesus, through the blood of, uh, uh, through his blood, cleanses us from all unsin. And then if we say that we have no sin, why is he writing that? Because see, these higher Gnostics were believing, yeah, I mean, maybe I did something with my evil matter body, but spiritually, man, there ain't nobody like me. That's what they were saying. And they were creating a class, their class, the true church, or the true spirituality, and the commoners who couldn't live up to what they'd attained. Kind of sounds like today. Well, he says, but you, 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 if you say that you have no sin in verse 8, you deceive yourself and the truth isn't in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say that we have not sinned, you see, context is everything here. We make him a liar and his word is not in us. So, we walk in the light. And then last time I was here, I talked about two verses. Can you hardly believe it? For an hour. And he said, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. He's just said, be honest. You're going to sin. But you don't have to sin. See, here's what happens in the church, especially America. Oh, you mean if I'm honest about it? I can just go about doing what I want and then confess my sin. See, that's not, the, that's not what John is advocating here. He's saying here, because you're a new creation. 
you're no longer a slave to sin. You're a slave to righteousness, and your inclination is to live in a right way towards God. And, oh, what's going to really help you in this area is that we have an advocate with the Father. And we talked about that. Remember, we're in Christ, and he's in us, and we have an advocate right now. See, you have a, you have a blamer, an accuser right now. His name is Satan, and he's accusing you before the Father, Revelation tells you, but we have an advocate. The best defense attorney of all time, who doesn't go up there and go, this is not his ministry right now. Oh, Lord, did you just see what Tim did? Could you help him out, Lord, based on my blood? That's not what he's saying. He's not surprised by what I do or what I've done wrong or anything that happens. No, he's there as our advocate. Listen, opening up the channel between man and God. Because of his blood, the propitiation for our sins, God's wrath against sin was satisfied, and now we have open access to God the Father. The Bible tells us that we can come boldly to the throne saying, Hey, Dad. I need you. Why can we do that? Because Jesus Christ is our advocate, and he's also our propitiation for our sins. And we talked about this. When we're in Christ, what's imputed to us are Christ's achievements. At the cross, you see, he defeated, or he took the penalty for sin, the punishment that we deserved, And he died and rose again, and now we have new life in Christ. You see, we have what he achieved. And he's in heaven advocating for us, opening up the channel for God. We have access now to God because of Jesus. We're found in him. Get it? Oh, by the way, two weeks ago, I didn't even give you the punchline. I went on for two hours or whatever, one hour, and I didn't even give you the punchline. Let me just do this. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So see, when I was investigating the claims of Christ, what I was investigating was, well, okay, tell me what to do. How can I be better Christian? How can I live up to these things? But see, I got it all wrong, and hopefully 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30 is going to help you. If you don't remember anything from this sermon, hopefully you'll remember this, and you'll also write this down when you go home and memorize this. Verse 30, chapter 1, But of him you are in Christ Jesus. You are in Christ Jesus. All that he's achieved, you achieved. Listen to this. Who became for us, oh my. Jesus came for us, the wisdom of God. See, there's no paradigm you live by. Catch what I'm saying. It's a person who you serve and love. We're found in Christ, and he's our wisdom. We're found in Christ, and he's our righteousness. We're found in Christ, and he's our sanctification. We're found in Christ, and he's our redemption. Do you see the difference? It's not something I, like, write down seven keys to living. No, I just... I just surrender my life and I look to him for everything. He's my all in all. Why do you think we get excited to sing songs? It's not because we're singing songs. It's because we're pouring out our heart to the Lord. He is all these things for us. You get it? Oh, man. Now, that puts a different spin on 1 John chapter 2. So let me read a little bit of it. Then I'll pray. Boy, we got a long way to go, folks. Now, by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, uh, uh, I know him and doesn't keep his commandments is a liar. You think the Bible's pretty straightforward? (laughs) And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. (whistles) Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard uh, from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. 
He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. You, for his name's sake, I write to you, fathers, because you have, here it comes, known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you've overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Amazing. And you're like, wow, what do you mean amazing? What did I start this with? I started with my old Spanish class. I remember one word, thankfully. I remember more than that. My last name's Verdi. That's a joke. That's a joke. Okay. Anyway, Timoteo. See, I got a few of them. But anyway, Konosko. I started with Konosko, which is gnosko in the, in the Greek, to know. You say, well, why is that a big deal? <laughs> now, by this, we know that we know him. Are you, are you tracking? John's doing something here by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he's using a phrase here. We know that we know. He used gnosko here, which is used 25 times in this uh, book. It means this, to know or to perceive, listen to this, by experience from day to day. There's another word he could have used here. I don't know how to pronounce it, oida or ido which means we know expressing absolute, immediate knowledge of a fact once for all. He actually uses it in 1 John 3, 2, when he says, we know that when he appears. He uses a different word. It's an absolute fact. But he's using gnosko here to say, by experience, by experience, from day to day. You're saying, well, why are you getting so excited about this? Because he's combating these Gnostics who had these strange ideas about knowing more than other people. And he's telling you and he's telling me, all of us as Christians ought to be knowing the Lord. It's an interesting way. The tenses are different between the first no and the second no there. The tenses are different. So that he uses the present tense to begin and the perfect tense the second time, in other words, he's saying uh, a knowing that is permanent. One uh, a commentator who's an expert in this language says, hereby we constantly listen to this, the normal experience of somebody who surrendered their lives to Christ and the Holy Spirit of God has come to live in their life. The con- uh, hereby we constantly have the experience of knowing, listen to this, it's so beautiful, of knowing that we have come to know him. This should be, uh, you know, this, is, this would be on par like the Pirates winning the World Series. Like this is, I mean, this is jumping out of the seat stuff. Listen, the Bible tells us here through John, hey, Gnostics, you guys act like you know everything. Every People are here. You're, a, 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 you know, on a higher plane than everybody. John is telling you this. Listen, for the normal, uh, everyday, just Christian, we know that we know him. By this, we know that we know him. We can have a, an experience where we're experiencing knowing that we have come to know him. Not know about him. That's the point I'm trying to get across. Our churches are filled in America with people who know about Christ. John speaks nothing of that. What John speaks of is this experience. You are experiencing forgiveness of sins and love. And because of all the things that Christ has done and come in and given you a new nature, listen to this, you're going to know that you know him. And here's how you're going to know. If your inclinations are to keep his commandments. Your love... For him is wrapped up in responding to a life that pleases the Father. Now listen to me. 
Do you get to heaven by pleasing the Father? No, that's never what the Bible says. The Bible says you get to heaven and can be with him for eternal life based on grace alone, in faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. But once you become a Christian and you have a new nature, your nature is, your inclination now, your thoughts, everything goes towards pleasing a great dad. And you know that you know him when you're inclined to keep his commandments. Now, don't tune out here, folks, because what if God asks you to do something you don't want to do? Here, I'll just throw out a few. Have sex before you're married. Jesus says, don't fornicate. Then when you're married, no adultery. You say, well, I've never been in adultery, guys are saying. Oh, really? Jesus said, don't lust in your heart. Or how about if he says, you know, don't don't live together before you're married. I mean, you're you're a holy vessel. Learn how to be sexually moral, 1 Thessalonians tells us. I know, but, you know, it's just more convenient, costs less. Hmm. Okay. Let me direct you back to 1 John 2, verse 3. Now, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments, his commandments, Jesus, the commandments that he espoused. We're going to talk about a new commandment here. He, let, let me keep going. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar. A liar in the Greek means liar. It means you're lying. You're lying to yourself. You're lying to the people around you, and you're lying to God. See, these are a big issue. Knowing about him brings about obedience. How about this? Paul spoke of this. You can see this, knowing him, not in a way of uh, knowing about him, but knowing him in a personal way. Paul spoke about this. He said, I count everything lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. See, it's everywhere. That's knowledge. Knowing him, not knowing about him. How about this? Jesus actually spoke of it. (laughs) He said, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Not me, him. Jesus was saying that. Right? It's a a critical issue that you know him in a personal and saving way. Not know about him. We're filled, thousands, millions of people who know about him. They can spout off all the Bible verses, but they don't know him. Here he says, you'll keep his commandments. Here's one commandment, quit gossiping. (laughs) I I know, but I was praying for them at the prayer meeting. Yeah, you were gossiping. And the Bible says the inclination here is that we want to do what's right. So we find out his commandments, not because we're earning his favor, but because we're pleasing him, living our lives back to him. He who says, I know him and doesn't keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever, listen to this, or underline it, underline this, keeps his word. Now this is obvious, but I'm going to tell it to you again. Not knows his word, keeps his word. The Bible tells us in the book of James, the devils know the word of God. They probably know it better than all of us. But there's this thing called the will that you have. It's that thing that makes you do, you know, well, I don't want to walk back there and whatever, but I'm going to, you you at some point decide that you're going to walk back there and do what you need to do. That's your will. You set your will. And some people don't submit their will to the Word of God. They submit their intellect to the Word of God. I'll remember all the verses, man. I'll go to the Bible quizzes. I'll blow people out of the water and win. 
but never surrender their will. See, the Bible says that we are to keep his word. How many of us are fearing right now? He said, don't worry. Don't worry. What could man do to us? I'll provide for you. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. He says it hundreds and hundreds of times in the Bible. Don't worry. How many of us are inappropriately fearing what we shouldn't fear? Well, keep his word. Truly the love of God is perfected in him. What's that mean? It means mature. See, people who learn the Word of God, which is great, by the way. Hide it in your heart. Psalm 119 tells us to do it. Learning the Word of God, that's fantastic. Do it. But see, for the mature Christian who wants to show his love back to the Lord or her love back to the Lord, they're ones who are maturing in it as they submit their will to the Word of God, even if it hurts. Doing the Word of God, even if it hurts, don't steal well, I mean, my office has those favorite pens. <laughs> and I mean, <laughs> nobody cares if I take a pen. No, oh, okay, you're stealing. Just call it what it is. The love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walks. See, this is an amazing thing. I want you to go back up to, with me. This has bearing on what we're talking about in verse 3. There's a word there called keep. Those who keep his commandments. See, we treat the commandments of the Lord as if they're some bothersome thing. Man, I'm going to live my life, do this thing, do that. Oh, but wait a minute. I've got to remember the commandments of the Lord. That's not what this word is. This word, anybody here know what a century is? S-E-N-T-R-Y, sentry. He's the one or she that walks the walls, right? And they're looking out for the enemy, for protection, and they want to check it out. See, that's the word he uses right here, that we are to be in a guarded, good, alert, sober, um, awake way, walking the walls of our heart, ready to listen to this, Obey all the commandments, not just one, all the commandments. A commentator says, just, says this, well, one expert in this word, not just the act of obeying his commands, but of a solicitous, which means meticulous, careful, concerned, listen to this, desire that we do not disobey, look, look at this, any of them. That's what keep means. And the flips, so, so, so you have the keeping part. We're alert to keeping what the Lord has for us, but we're also going to be ones, drop down, who abides in him. What does abide mean? It means to stay under. It also means this. It also means like homey or fellowship. And what do you do at home? What, what do you feel at home, hopefully? What do you feel at home? You feel safe. And you have fellowship with the people that you love the most. Right? Now take those, think, those things and put it in here. You know in John chapter 15 that he says he's the vine and we're the branches, which means we des uh, derive all our source and resource and life from the vine. We're just the branches. We're plugged into him. We're getting life and resources, and we're going to stay there. And the great part about this is, as we abide, we come to know him more and more. Now catch it. How do we know that we know him? If we keep his commandments, we're grafted in to the vine. We're abiding. We're 
receiving life to live this life that we want to live and do the right things, righteous things. And the more we uh, stay under and are there at home with him, he provides more resource, which is homey. It's even get to know me in the things that we have to stand up and do, like hard things, like go say we're sorry or go make up with somebody or go admit a sin to our boss or I don't know, or uh, actually pay our taxes in the right way or whatever it is. IRS, whatever it is, do, do integral things. And as we trust him instead of what the world tells us to do, check what's happening. You're coming to know him in more and more way because you're loving him and he's loving you and he's providing resource for all that you need. That's the picture here. It's almost too hard to believe that God think of us this much. He says he abides in me. We also ought to walk just as he walked. How did he walk? He walked in grace and truth. The perfect blend of grace and truth. We ought to be so graceful in our truth and so truthful in our grace. It's just the perfect blend because here the Lord's supplying it to him or to us as we are plugged into him every morning. What does this mean? This means we come to the end of ourselves. We get honest with who we are. We need you, Lord, every hour. It's not just a song that we sing. It's a hymn. Oh, it's a hymn. It's true. In us, there's no good thing, Lord. We need you every hour, every second. We need to depend on you to get up and to go to work we need to depend on you to, to love people who are unlovable, etc., etc. Whatever it is, we are abiding there for all circumstances of our life. We begin to walk just as he walked. How beautiful is that? Well then, brethren, I write to you no new commandment, but an old commandment. I write to you an old commandment. An old commandment. Well, that's interesting. Which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Now, do you know this? That what Jesus is going to tell us here in a minute, or refer to in John 13, 34, a new commandment, this commandment Jesus told us about was written, oh, guess where? In Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart mind, strength, and then love your neighbor as yourselves. That was in the Old Testament. Jesus said, again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you. What is he talking about? Well, he's probably talking about John, go over there, 13, verse 34. Listen to what Jesus said in 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you. Listen, here, here's the key. That you love one another, Here, here's what you would underline, as I have loved you. No more loving like the world loves or like people love. I want you to love like I love, Jesus said. You'll love like I love, Jesus said. And how did Jesus love? He loved people who hated him. Were you ever taught that as a kid? I wasn't. No offense, mom and dad. <laughs> That's not what I grew up with, man. <laughs> I grew up with, oh, <laughs> you hate me? You do something to me? Okay, I might not get you back now, but it's going in here, and I'm going to get you back. I'll love you as long as you're good to me, but if as soon as you don't, aren't good to me, I'm going to get you. And Jesus said in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That's the key. How did he love? He loved all the way to death for those who would even say, crucify him. By this we know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. John actually wrote that. He's writing it here again. He's writing to us, talking to us about the cross. How are we to love? Yes, it's an old commandment. You're to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and you're to love your neighbors or yourself. But now look, what does the cross do? David Gudzik says it this way. The cross is big enough to include everyone. The cross lasts. The cross love lasts through eternity. 
The cross love is deep enough to reach even the people with the grossest sins. And it reaches high enough, the cross, to take us to heaven. You getting that? There's no more people. There's no more. Look at this, folks. Look, Gnosticism. I'm up here. You're down here. There's no more of that. The cross is high enough, big enough, wide enough, long enough to handle all sins, including the people who hate us. Make no mistake, folks. There are people in the world right now, I'm not sure you've noticed it, that hate you as a Christian. They hate me as a Christian. They hate what we stand for. And what we stand for is the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's nothing new to him. Well, he says, again, a new commandment, verse 8, I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The true light is already shining. There's a great theme of the Bible. You could go start looking the book of Isaiah. Where there's this darkness on the earth, but into it is going to come a great light. That's Jesus. And what happens is it comes into our heart. Our, we were formerly uh, outside of Christ. We were children of wrath. We've been translated into the kingdom of the son of his love. We've gone from dark to light. Into the light by the blood of Jesus. And that's what this is referring to. And the true light is already shining. But he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness till now. He who loves his brother, look at this, abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Folks, I got something for you, because the Bible has something for you. I don't care where you go. I don't care what church you go to. You're a part of the uh, body of Christ. I don't care where you go. There's no room for you disliking people who are in the body of Christ. Hey, maybe they're not diff- uh, uh, the same as you. Maybe they don't like sports like I do or music like you do or uh, mechanics or, or whatever. Maybe they're different. Maybe they ha- uh, have some different thoughts. The Bible's saying you should not hate them. Not only shouldn't you hate them, but be people who are in Christ, watch it, here it comes, won't hate them. And Paul's told us to examine ourselves. Do we hold... Uh, things against people in the church? Are we uh, uptight about things that people have done in the church and so we're holding grudges against them or not liking them? Well, here's what the Bible says. You're in the darkness. So go get it right. So go get it right. Oh, we're going to have things where we don't agree on stuff. We might have said something in a sharp way or whatever. But the Bible commands us, go to those people and get it right with them. Get it right. Say you're sorry. Do whatever. But if you don't, you're in the darkness. And he who loves his brother abides in light. And there's no cause for stumbling for him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Do you know what? Look, look. We're all, I think we're just tired today or something. But I want you to see something here. There's a terrible uh, verse in a good way where Jesus said to people who call him Lord, I never knew you. I think the American church is fooling themselves. We have our rock walls and our smoke shows and our high-top sneakers that cost $7,000 for the pastors and, uh, you know, all the gadgets and everything for the fun. But we ignore these things. And these things, for all of us, starting with me, show us who we are. We'll recognize them by their fruit. Well, here, one of the things is You and I and we should be walking in the light by obeying the commandments of the Lord, loving others. True? True. It's by loving others. This is the new commandment. This is to love even the ones we hate. So go on. I write to you, little children. What is this all about? I write to you, fathers. I write to you, young men. Well, there's a number of different theories. He's writing to different people in their stages of spiritual maturity. Yes, probably is. 
But, he, but maybe also this is just a way of just emphasizing the things that people in the church should know and remember. Well, let's go through them. I write to you, little children. What, what are the first thing you learn when you come into the church? You come into the body of Christ. That your sins are forgiven. Why are your sins forgiven? For his name's sake, according to his character. See, you live the Christian life according to what he or how he reveals himself, not how you think about it. You say to yourself, oh, God's a loving God. He'd never send anybody to hell. Well, he never does send anybody to hell. But you've got to know who God is. He's justice and wrath against sin. And it says here that your sins are forgiven because of his name's sake. And earlier you found out that there was a propitiation for the sins, which meant sin had to be punished. He can't just pat people on the head like American parents and say, oh, Johnny didn't mean to stab you in the leg, Sally. He's just tired today. No, he must deal with sin. He's sent his son, and he's the propitiation for his sin. He, your sins are forgiven, not because he's patting you on the head, but because the wrath of God was satisfied in his son, according to his character. You recognize that when you come into the church, and you realize that. Skip down to, I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. See, as you get into learning and growing, guess what happens to you as you come into the family of God and as you start to mature? See, temptations come your way. And the enemy's throwing fiery darts, like things like you're a loser, you're a nobody, you should be condemned. You... Anybody ever heard stuff like that? Yeah, you have. And here he's saying, you begin to resist temptation the way that Jesus resisted temptation. Check it out. Go over to Matthew 4. How did Jesus resist... I can't even say it. Resist temptation. How did Jesus resist... Oh, my goodness. Temptation. Go to Matthew 4. I won't say the word again. I'll just say R. He did it in Matthew 4. It's a beautiful thing. In Matthew 4, look at this. He's come out of a fast, 40 days, 40 nights. He's really hungry. The tempter, verse 3, comes to him and said, Hey, you know what? If you're the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. And look how Jesus responded to temptation. He quoted the Word of God. But he didn't just quote. He submitted his will to the Word of God. You could say, couldn't, he, couldn't have Jesus said, Well, hey, it's written here that man shall not live by bread alone, by bread but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, give me some of that bread. That's what Jesus could have said. You're tempting me too much. I know the word. Give the bread. I'll succumb. No, by the word of God, he combated the temptation of the enemy. In other words, he submitted himself to the word, not just learned the word. He submitted himself to the word so that he did the word. And then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on a pinnacle, and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down because, listen, the enemy of our souls knows the Bible. For it's written, he shall give his angels charge over you, quoting Scripture. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, it's written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. In other words, I'm not going to succumb to this because I know the word and I'm going to submit my whole life to it. I'm going to count everything on the word, even when everybody else tells me not to, including uh, the enticements of the world. And Jesus said to him, it's written, you shall not tempt the Lord. And again, the devil took him up, showed him all the kingdoms, and he said to him, all these things I'll give it if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. So don't stop reading right there. Look what happened. Then the devil left him. You want to uh, uh, be a fighter of temptation? Well, he provides the way out. He does it by you knowing the word, but not just knowing, submitting all of your life to it. You're going to bank on the word as opposed to what you think. Well, that's how you mature. How about this? In verse 13, I write to you, fathers, here it comes again, because you have, here it is, gnosko. You've known him. I know him in a personal way who's from the beginning. He emphasizes by saying, well, listen, I write to you, little children, because you have, look at this. We know the Father. 
Gnosko, I've written to you fathers because you have known him. It's knowing him. I've written to you young men because you are strong. And here it comes. And the word of God abides in you and you've overcome the wicked one. Do you understand? I don't want you to walk out of here without knowing that what your life should be is in total submission to God the Father through the Son by the power of the Spirit through God's Word. Not what you think about a certain subject or topic, but what the Bible says about a certain subject or topic, and not some crazy group that's trying to spread lies. You be a Berean. You be a searcher of the Scriptures and know the Bible for yourself and submit to it. Well, do not love the world. Or the things in the world. What does that mean? Does that mean I can't love creation? No, that's not what he's talking about. Of course, God made creation. You ever been to the mountains? You ever been to the beach? It's beautiful. God created it. It's beautiful. Not that world. And it can't mean people in the sense that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God loved the world in that sense, in humanity. But it's that system. It's that system that's set up to uh, be uh, against God and his kingdom. It's that world. It's the system that uh, uh, the Bible talks about all over the place. You know, Jesus was here, First uh, John 3, 1, the world didn't understand him. Remember, our citizenship is in heaven. First uh, John five nineteen says the system that is uh, or excuse me, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Are you catching me? Write these down. Go back and get them. The whole world lives under the sway of the wicked one. Colossians 1. He has delivered us from the power of darkness, conveyed us into the kingdom of the sun. In other words, there's a system, a world system that's under the sway of darkness and the wicked one. The prince of this world, Jesus called Satan. Come to Revelation study on Wednesday. We'll talk about the transfer of all of that. Or uh, Ephesians 6 says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Uh, this is this organization of evil influence over the affairs of the world. How about this? In Luke 16, verse 18, folks who aren't, uh, I'm sorry, this is just what the Bible says. Those who don't trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ and his resurrection are called children of this world. And they're energized, and that system is energized by the prince of the power of the air. I'm quoting from Ephesians 2. And the world does to us, 1 John 2.15, it says, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We can't afford to be enticed by that world, because then the love of the Father isn't in uh, in us, and it impacts our willingness to do the will of God, commandments, which is a, an expression of our love for God. Eesh. All right, hang in there. So don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father isn't in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So look, do you understand what Satan's playbook is? You, if you went right now and you went to and got the, like the San Francisco 49ers playbook or the Philadelphia Eagles. My man loves the Philadelphia Eagles right here. Where's, there's some others in here who like teams we can't mention. But anyway, if you... Oh, there he is. Uh, if you uh, uh, went and got their playbook, listen, their playbook is like this. They got... Thousands of plays in the NFL. The enemy has three. Three plays. And these plays, these strategies, haven't changed from the beginning. Go with me to Genesis 3, verse 6. You just hang on. I got a point. I want you to see something here. You know the temptation in the fall of man when the serpent was fooling around, messing with the, the woman in the garden? Look in verse 6. So when the woman saw, folks, this has been the deceiver's playbook from the beginning. When the woman saw, there's the lust of the flesh, 
that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasing to the eyes, lust of our eyes, and that it was a tree desirable to make one wise, the pride of life, she rebelled. And the strategy remains today. If the enemy can just get you to love what's in the world through the lust of the flesh, I gotta have it, by bringing you images through the eyes, that's why I'm telling you, man, Instagram is dangerous and diabolical. You see all these families up there in white linen and the husband's perfect and he's got six-pack abs and, you know, they're standing in the surf and the wife's got the hat on and they've got three beautiful-looking kids and the Range Rover is up on the hill and you're like, my goodness, what about me? What have you just done? What has the enemy just done? He's got you to the place where you've criticized the Lord because you're not happy with your life. What happened? It came through the eyes. It's, it's diabolical. It's, it's awful. And here, it's, he tells us, don't love, or excuse me, watch out because the playbook of the world is the lust of the flesh. The Bible tells us that the flesh is weak and profits nothing, and there's no good thing that comes from the flesh, and we're not to put confidence in the flesh, and we're to make no provision for the flesh. And the eyes, uh, in Psalm 119, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Do you remember Achan's sin? Folks, go to Joshua 17, or excuse me, 7 this week, the Jericho battle. There was this guy in the camp of the Israelites named Achan. And it says in verse 21, when I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 2,000 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing, uh, weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And they were hidden in the earth. And you know what happened. His sin was dealt with in a major way. It happened there too. The pride of life, what's that? Haughtiness, boastfulness, wanting to impress, uh, get it over on the Joneses, have a bigger house, have a better car, have the better vacations, have everything on Instagram perfectly. Just superiority, superiority over others. That's what this is all about. And that's the world system of thinking. And it's a slow fade. We should write a song about that. I mean, we should write a song about that. It influences us very slowly because Friendship with the world, check this out, is enmity with God. James tells us that. You've pushed God away when you love the world more than you love God. And you're not loving and you're not responding. So he says, don't do that. And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but here it comes. Hey, catch it. But he who does the will of God abides forever, abides forever. The Bible tells us that we're to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, Colossians 1, and to understand it, Ephesians 5, and, it, and to do his will from the heart and not to talk about it, but just do it, Matthew 7, and stand complete in the will of God. Yes, and submit your life to him and to all of uh, 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 his will and everything in his will and those people who desire his will. Look at this. Abide forever. You say, well, man, I really, that house, I, so, I mean, square, I mean, the Joneses have this house. I want this house. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. A house, a mansion. You, listen, folks, you're going to be Okay. Two other things. One quick thing here. What's going to be an attack on all this? How is he going to attack you? Well, there's going to be the Antichrist is coming. There's the big Antichrist with a big A, and there's little Antichrist in the sense that there's this spirit of Antichrist. Everything sets itself up against God, and what we're moving towards is the Antichrist with a big A coming on the scene in the seven-year period of tribulation. That's a real deception of the last hour. But there are going to be people in our churches who are antichrists, and one of the ways you're going to know them is they're going to go out from us, verse 19, for if they'd been for us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest. What's all that about? It's those people. You've had it happen. 
They get mad at something in the church. And you know what they say? Not that I'm, not that I'm going to go to another church because I'm being fed differently and, and real well at the other church. That's okay, and that's all good. This is when the people say, I'm sick of those Christians. They're hypocrites. I'm never going back to church. I'm just going to stay at my house. One of the signs of them being against God is that they will do this. Do you understand that there's no perfect people except for, person except for Jesus? There are people in here who are going to disappoint you. I'm going to disappoint you. I can't do be all things to all people. Neither can you. But that's why we're to live in a loving and understanding way. And here's what I wanted to get to, and we'll close with this. Here it comes. I'm going to get in trouble for this. I'm going to get emails about this. But I don't care. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know, here it comes again, it's not the word gnosko, by the way. This is the one for in, intuition knowing. You're intuitively knowing something in the way that the Holy Spirit reveals things to you. You have anointing from the Holy One. I want you to see something, folks. Anointing is not for special people. It's not just for some guy who stands back here and, oh my goodness, he has the anointing today. No, he has the anointing all the time, but here's the point. So do you. Don't, don't be fooled by that stuff on TV. Here it says that the normal experience of the person who's in Christ is you have an anointing from the Holy Known. What's that mean? It means that the Holy Ones come to live in your life. And all of you have it if you surrendered your life to Christ. I'm not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you know it. And that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But listen to this. He who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Are you kidding me? You're saying to yourself, I just got to say it. I get in trouble every time I say it. You're going to get a knock on your door. You might have it this week. Hey, Mr. Green, Mrs. Green, can I come in and talk to you? Uh, I got this pamphlet here. It's from a place called The Watchtower or, you know, The Pearl of Great Pride. What, what's the book? I don't know. The, 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 the Mormon Bible. And I'm going to come in and I want to talk to you. See, listen, I want you to see something. He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Just turn with me. I promise this is it. To John 12. I'm going to make one more point and we're going to close. I want you to know and to learn. Most of you say, not most of you, some of us say, some of us say this, guys and gals, hey, why are you being mean? Why are you being mean? We believe in the same Father. We have a, maybe a few different ideas about who Jesus is, but leave it alone. See, I can't leave it alone. You know why I can't leave it alone? Because the Holy Spirit never left it alone. And in John 12, hold on, verse 44, look at this. I want you to see this. This is important. This is, I don't want our fellowship to ever go away not knowing this. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. How about this? Go with me to chapter 13, verse 20. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. Okay, go to one more. John 14, verse 9. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Whoever, verse 23, now back to 1 John, denies the Son, does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See, most of us want to say, I'll believe in the Bible as I define it. Who Jesus is in comparison to the Father. But Jesus sets out who he is in comparison to the Father or in relation to the Father. That's a better way of saying it, not comparison. In relation to the Father. Jesus, and 
John here tells us that it's important for your salvation that you believe in the Christ, in the Messiah, the way the Bible defines it or reveals it. See, that's a big point, folks. We believe in one God in three persons. Is God the Father? God, yes. Is God the Son? God, yes. Is God the Holy Spirit? Yes. And yet there's a distinction. One God in three persons. You saw them. I read them to you. The Trinity. One God, three persons. Folks, it's a matter of life and death. We're going to have the folks come and play and sing, lead us in one song. I'm on an amazing streak here, man. I'm so far ahead in studying, I might just go on vacation next week. Usually I'm way behind in studying, but I've, I'm way ahead. But I want to know something. Listen, listen, listen. Don't tune out as they go. Don't tune out. Listen, listen. Do you know that you know him? I'm not talking do you know about him. Do you know him? Can you say, I know him? Can you say, I'm abiding in him? Can you say, I know him? Can you say, I'm abiding in him? See, it's a matter of life and death. It's eternal life here at stake, folks. And for those who have been in the church a long time, do you know about him or do you know him? Are you abiding in him or are you just picking from the buffet line whenever you need it? Big difference. If any of these things are true of you, here's what we're going to do. They're going to lead us in this last song, and then I want you, I'll come up and I'll say, God bless you. I want you to come up. I want to pray with you. If this sermon's bothering you in some way, and I hope it is, I want you to come up and pray with me or someone else. I don't want you to leave here without doing business with the Lord. There's no pirates. There's no stealers. There's no Big Ten football. So there's nothing to go home to, okay? Here, let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you for this time and for these people and their hearts to know you and to know your word. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would go forth in our hearts, that you'd tug at us. If there's something we're living with and it's not right, if there's something askew in our life, if we're not, if we don't know you in the way that we should know you, if we're not abiding in you, I pray, Lord, that we would come and get it right at the, begin, at the front of the church. We'd pray together and we'd love one another and we'd help one another as much as we and best as we can as we seek you, Lord, in all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.